Well, welcome, everybody. It's great to see you guys this weekend, and uh, thanks for gathering together. Uh, we're talking about peace and anxiety and uh, how that shows up in our lives and what God has to say about it and uh, how his truth can really bring freedom and relief and actually change uh, in us. And when that happens, when we are peaceful people in an anxious world, we wind up having a, a strong like story to tell or testimony about who God is and his power and his life. Uh, as we uh, started talking about this, I, I just kind of wanted to make it clear that uh, exactly what we're talking about. So when you think about anxiety, uh, I think about anxiety in two broad categories. One is what I would just call clinical anxiety. Some of us struggle with a chemical that doesn't work right in our bodies. Like some of us would struggle with a diabetes or some other kind of chemical issue in our body. Some of, the ha of, of us have that and it affects the way that our brain works so that our brain is kind of on a high alert all the time. And we would look at circumstances in our lives we would process that kind of only through a fight or flight position because of that chemical imbalance. And we would call that a clinical anxiety. And if that is you and you're struggling with that, uh, I want you to know that Grace Church believes that Jesus can help with that. And we also believe strongly in counseling and doctors and medicine. And we believe that those things are gifts from God to us. And so we would, just like we would for other illnesses, we would say, let's look at our medical professionals, let's look at medicine that's available, we would want that for you too. So if you don't have access to that, and we can help you get access to that, we'd, we'd love to be able to help you in any way that we can. But that's one category of anxiety, and there's a bunch of details in there about what that is and isn't. That's not what we're talking about right now. But that's a category. The other big category and kind of the category that we're having a conversation about is just what I have called life anxiety. And this is the fears, the insecurities, the uncertainness of life. Sometimes it comes from the pressures of life. Sometimes it comes from relational issues. It can come a thousand different ways. And we call it a thousand different things. We'll say stress, we'll say burnout, we'll say I'm exhausted, we'll say I'm anxious, we'll say a bunch of different things. But we're talking about the circumstances and the relationships in life that make us anxious. And what I wanna show us here over the next few weeks is that God has a ton to say about that. And there's a ton that he wants to do about that, that the spirit of God produces a peace within us and that's a gift that God wants to give us and a place that he wants us to live. So we're setting up shop in Philippians chapter three and four, and we're talking about uh, these verses in it. Uh, this is what Paul says, starting in Philippians chapter three, but you are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting his return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything 
under his control. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do and remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Jesus Christ. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thought. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. Everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. And so we're kind of working through this passage a little bit, and we're going to find that there's a pathway there. We're going to find that there's promises there. We're going to find that there's, there's help there. And we're going to see that God speaks into this idea a whole bunch here and other places in the scripture, right? Now, this weekend, kind of what I want to talk to us about are, are these things. I want to talk to us a little bit about the lies that we live and I'll explain that here in a minute, but we live our lives, so we're gonna talk about that. And we're gonna talk about value that we are gifted, what God has given to us. And then we're gonna talk about how those two things bring us to like a fork in the road or a decision point of what we're gonna engage and how we're going to engage it, okay? So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the lies that we live. All of us have lies that we've been told about who we are and what we are, and those lies are the roots of our insecurity and fears and our devaluation, which is the root of our anxiety. So there's things that we've been told about ourselves that we're tempted to believe, and those lies cause us to feel insecure. Those lies cause us to think of ourselves other than how God says that who we are and what we are, and it causes us to wonder if we have value or what our value is. And when we hear those lies, all of us have at least one, some of us have more, and we lock onto that lie, we can build a life around that lie. And when you reverse engineer that and figure out what that is and how it's affected my life, what you're gonna find is the root of what we would call anxiety or insecurity or stress or whatever word you would use to describe those things, right? So some of us have been uh, told uh, these kind of lies. Some of you have been told that your value is that you are attractive, right? So somebody, your whole life, they're like, you're pretty, you're good looking, you're such a pretty little kid, you're such a pretty little, your eyes, and you have adopted that lie as a truth. That's all over our culture. Your physical external appearance is what makes you valuable. We literally call this the money maker, right? And so it makes you valuable. So as long as you feel pretty and you feel attractive, or as long as someone is telling you about that, telling you uh, about that that's what you are, if you adopt that into yourself, you will find your value in it. So I have to be attractive, I've got to be hot, I've got to be ripped. If I'm not those things, then I don't have value. That's the lie that you will believe about yourself. And as you get older, the Bible says that beauty fades. 
As you get older, you see this all the time. People will go to extreme measures to hold on to what they believe is attractiveness. And they will get their face stretched and their hair implanted and they will do all kinds of things to their body because if they lose that attractiveness, they believe that they have lost that value. And it's a lie that they believe. Uh, some of you have been told that your value is your athletics. You're such a good athlete. And man, we're, when, when dad showed up in your life, it's because you were on the field. And when he cheered for you, it's because you scored a goal. And some of you have believed that that's where I find value and that's where I belong and that's where I have acceptance. And so I have to give myself to that. That's why it's so important to you that you make varsity. That's why it's so important to you that you get a scholarship to play in college. That's why even as you get older in age and the body starts to fail, you will start telling stories about the glory. You just become Uncle Rico. You'll just start telling stories about the glory days and what you used to be and you'll feel competitive with your kids and you'll find your value in them achieving on the athletic field. Why? Because you were told that that's what makes you valuable. And if I can't do that or I don't have that, if I believe that lie, when that starts to go away, I will feel displaced. I will feel insecure. I will feel less than because I was told that. Some of you are told that because that you find your value because you're smart and you always got a straight A. That's why you cry when you get a B plus, right? Because you're like, oh, I, can't, I failed and I'm not achieving and I didn't get the A plus and you get older and now if you're not the smartest person in the room who knows everything about everything, you feel out of place, you feel insecure, you, you don't feel like you belong. All of us have lies and you have one or two in your life that have governed your life. And those lies at the root of those things is where you find insecurity, where you feel devalued, and why you feel anxious. I'll tell you mine. My lie is that I was, I've always believed I was dumb. I've always believed I was dumb. So when I got into school, I started going through school, I did okay for a while, but looking back now, I realize I have a learning disability. I cannot do math. I can add, subtract, multiply, and divide. But if you put any kind of math in front of me where like numbers get, like letters get substituted for numbers, I can't do it. Any kind of algebra, anything like that, I can't do it. It will not register in my brain. And whatever that disability is, is attached to languages. So I cannot download a second language. I can't, it looks like a blur of letters to me and none of it registers in my brain, right? Now, somewhere along the line, I was told that unless I can do this math or unless I can do what this academic skill in front of me, people who can't do that are dumb and that's a lie that I picked up and I locked into my life. That lie got reinforced as I got older because you go to high school, they start putting letters in for numbers. And I had to take algebra and I couldn't do it. And I had to take a second language and I couldn't understand it. And so I felt more dumb and more dumb the further that I went. I often say, I think I got my doctorate to prove to myself I wasn't dumb. And I'm serious about that. I think I had to prove that to myself. Because I get into ministry and I work with ancient languages. 
And every time I come, and when I'm up here and I'm teaching and there's a Greek name or a Hebrew name, or I, my anxiety will go through the roof because I, I cannot make sense of that. And I get nervous that I'm going to look dumb in front of people because I feel dumb. It's my lie, right? And that lie, when it's adopted and locked onto, is a lie that will absolutely govern my life. And it will determine my interaction with God. And you gotta lie. You just gotta know what your lie is. And your lie is part of the root cause of what makes you feel insecure, invaluable, like you don't belong, and we just call that anxiety. And when you get in the right situation and you're interacting with the right way, that anxiety will flare up because that identity in your life is your lie, right? And it will govern you. Now, the Bible says something very interesting. The Bible will kind of understand that there are these lies that drive us. By the way, the Bible also says that the evil one is the father of those lies and that drive us in our life. But the Bible will come in and say this. The Bible would say, when you accept Christ, when you accept Christ, you are reborn. You are reborn. You become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And when you are reborn, and when you are a new creation, the Bible would say this, that you have a value that is gifted to you. It's not a value that you earn, it's not a value that you perform and receive, it's a value that's gifted to you, and it comes by way of the fact that you are now in Christ as opposed to outside of Christ. You have all these new things that identify you, that cause you to belong, and that are truths that God says about yourself. And what you'll see is a lot of times they wind up colliding with your lies. So the way that the apostle Paul talks about this in the Philippians passage we've been looking at, when he talks about this idea of value that you've been gifted, is he says it this way, but you're citizens of heaven. So Paul's like, hey, by the way, you have a citizenship in heaven that's gifted to you. You don't earn it, can't buy it, it's gotta be given to you, and the value that you have is placed in that citizenship. Now other places in the New Testament, he explains kind of what that means more and more by talking about who we are because of Christ. So like in Romans chapter eight, he would say this, he says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So suddenly Paul's like, by the way, when you accept Christ, you are children of God. And if you're a child of God, then you are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So the apostle Paul would say, hey Jeff, you're not a dumb kid, you're thinking of yourself wrong, you're actually a co-heir with Jesus Christ. The way that you would think about Jesus and his value is the way that you would wanna think about yourself. That's the way the heavenly father would look at you. As much as he would love his son and value his son and, and, and wanna, want things to go well for his son, he would want that for you. That's your value in your salvation. A citizenship, can't buy it, it's gotta be given, but once you have it, 
You're a child of God, and God is gonna look at you like he would look at his son, Jesus Christ, because of what God has done in your life. Here's another place where he talks about that, 2 Corinthians. He says this, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So God would look at me, and he'd say, hey, Jeff, you're not a dumb kid. I know you can't do math, and you can't understand different languages, but that's not who you are. You are my son, I look at you, I, I would, if you thought of, the, of a royal family, or if you thought of a powerful family, that's the way that you would want to think of yourself. You don't look at them as dumb, you don't look at them as less than, you would look at them as privileged, you would look at them as elevated. That's the way that you would wanna think about yourself, that's the way I think about you. I don't think about you as like a dumb kid that somehow snuck into the gates of heaven, I think of you as my child, as my son, as my daughter. In fact, the Bible says, I don't just think of you this way, I actually adopted you this way. Ephesians chapter one, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. I didn't accidentally become a son of God, a co-heir with Jesus, a friend of God. God decided that's who I would be in my salvation. He wanted that to happen. He adopted me into his family. I'm not an outsider looking in. I'm adopted in. God wanted this. And it gives him great pleasure to do it. Now that's the truth of who I am. I have built a whole bunch of my life off of a lie that's not true of me. I'm not dumb, I'm not invaluable because I don't understand math. I'm not worthless because I can't pick up on a language. I'm not useless because when I see another language, it just looks like a blob of things to me. It doesn't make any sense in my mind. I'm not, I'm not less than because I can't do calculus. Those are lies that were told to me or adopted by me that can govern my life. But the scripture here is saying that is not who I am. I am who Christ says that I am. I am a co-heir, I'm a royal priest, I'm a part of a holy nation, I have a citizenship that's been given to me, I'm a part of a kingdom and my father is the king. I'm adopted by my heavenly father. He wanted me, I belong to him, I am his son, it gives him pleasure. He wanted all of that to happen. So regardless how I feel in a moment, what is true about me is true because of what God gifted to me. When I feel insecure, what's actually true is not what I feel, it's what God gifted to me. When I feel unwanted, what's actually true is not how I feel because I was wanted by God, he decided to adopt me. When, when, I am, when I feel like an outsider, like I got no place to belong, what's actually true is that I'm a part of the kingdom of heaven. I'm a, I'm a part of the family of God. That's the truth. 
when I feel unsure of who I am, I just don't know what I'm, what I, who I am or what I live for, what I'm here for, what's true is I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ. What I feel is going to drive my anxiety. It's gonna drive my worry, it's gonna drive my insecurity, it's gonna drive my uncertainty. What is true has been gifted to me by God. And God says that it is true. And God says this is the platform that I want you to build your life on. And God would say, that's how I want you to function, okay? And if we can start to separate the lie from the truth, right? It's going to wind up making a massive difference in our life and how we move through life. Whether I'm gonna move through life on the lie or I'm gonna move through life on the truth, okay? Now, let me show you how this works in real time. So I've always felt kind of dumb. Always, always felt that way. It's like in me, right? Because I can't do math and because I can't pick up on, on languages, right? So uh, I got into the ministry when I was 22. The first time that I was asked to speak in front of a bunch of people, I was 24. So I came into the youth ministry, I worked with teenagers, and there was this big youth conference, it was held out in Arizona, and somehow, somehow I got invited to go to this youth conference and to stand on this big stage and speak to all these teenagers, okay? So I'm 24, there's like 2,000 people in this arena, and they're like, hey Jeff, you're gonna be the, the main speaker, right? So I remember accepting that invitation because I wanted I wanted to do that. In fact, I felt kind of called to do that. I, I like understood I was a little bit gifted at it. I felt like it was an important thing and it, it's like something I felt like God wanted me to do. So I wanted to accept the invitation, but remember, I feel like I'm dumb all the time. And I will never forget a moment in my life. Uh, I go to this conference, I go out there, I'm kind of nervous, which is pretty normal, right? And I'm thinking about standing in front of all these people. And so I'm kind of geared up and wired up for that a little bit. I go to the, the session, the band plays, they do the fun stuff with the kids, all that kind of stuff. And the guy who's running the platform comes up to me and he says, hey, you're up. Like you're the next thing that's gonna happen. You're gonna be the, the keynote speaker. So I remember standing up and I remember walking up to these steps. There's like five steps, there's a railing on both sides and it goes up to this platform to go out in front of all these thousands of people. I remember walking up to those steps and I, rem I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember taking my first step, I had my hand on both of the railings, taking my first step onto the step and I froze. And all of this anxiety came over me like a wave. And I'm standing there and I'm frozen in nervousness, fear, stress, insecurity and I'm frozen in anxiety, and what flooded my mind was, you're dumb. You're dumb. Uh, you probably don't know the Bible well enough to teach it. Uh, you're, gonna, you're gonna talk about this Old Testament guy, you're probably gonna pronounce his name wrong. You probably, why would any, you're going to mess up, who, who wants to hear from you anyways? We know, my brain and me, like you kind of been faking it. And this is where they're gonna find out that you're dumb. You don't belong. You shouldn't be here. 
you're not capable, you're not worthy, what would ever make you think that you are? All the lies in an instant flooded my mind. It was fascinating. All I could think about was running away. I had these, I, you know how your mind will work real quick sometimes? Like I'm like, I, I could make myself throw up. I could do that. I could grab my chest and just like fall down. Like I was like, how can I get out of this moment because this is a moment that I don't belong in because I'm dumb, right? Now, this is what happens. We live these lies, but God in Christ has given us this value, this truth. I believe this, but this is what God says. And what happens is this, in life, this is the way it works in real time. What I believe about myself, if you're a Christ follower, what I believe about myself is gonna come in conflict with what God says is true about me. And what I, the lie I believe and I've lived is gonna slam into what God says about me. And when that lie slams into the truth of what God says about me, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna find myself at a fork in the road. And I'm gonna look down that fork and I'm gonna see a couple paths that I could take. And in that moment, I'm gonna have to decide what am I going to do with what God says? I believe this, but God says this, what path am I gonna take? And here's the decision I'm gonna have to make. Will my anxieties define me or will God's truth define me? And that's gonna happen in a moment. That's not actually a big thing that you can decide ahead of time because you can decide that like right now, I'm gonna be defined by God's truth and that's all gonna be fine and dandy until you're on your way up those steps. And in that moment, when those lies flood in and you're locked up and you're anxious and you're nervous and you've always dealt with this feeling in the paradigm of the lies, I'm gonna have to decide if I'm going to take that path or if I'm gonna take the path of the truth of who Christ says that I am in him, right? Now, when we hit that fork in the road, we got some options. We got some options. We could take the path of, um, of, of believing in ourselves, you know what, you, you have set, you, your, your self-esteem's too low and you don't have enough will. And if you could believe and think and trust yourself, then you could get yourself past this. Most of us have been raised on that path. We've been raised on the path of self-empowerment, right? Now here's the problem with that path. It doesn't work. How do you know? Because you're struggling with anxiety. And we've been taught our whole lives to believe in ourselves. But when I believe in myself, I'm usually believing in some version of my lie. And so I, I don't believe in myself because myself has led me to this place of anxiety again and again and again and again and again. I can pretend that I believe in myself and I kind of believe that until I take the first step up those stairs. And then the lie is gonna flood in. Another path that you can take, instead of like believing your own truth and believing in your own self-empowerment, another path that you can take is you can believe in somebody else's truth that you adopt. 
I don't, I don't really believe in myself, so I've been listening. I listen to Jordan Peterson, I listen to Joe Rogan, and I listen to this person, I listen to that person, and what they say is, and what they say is, and what they say is, and you, we can think, well, that's my, that's my way of finding my way, and I would look at you and I would say, yeah, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. How can you say it doesn't work? Because it hasn't worked. Because repeating what somebody else says has nothing to do with believing it for myself. By the way, that's what happens in church a lot. I have an answer. I grew up in church, so I got an answer. God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we look and say, but I can't. Because I can't get away from my insecurity. I can't get away from my fear. I can't. And we heard something and we'll quote it, but we don't believe it. So believing in myself doesn't really work. Quoting something that somebody else says doesn't really work. Jesus would come in and say, wait a minute, I'm not talking about you. You listen? I'm talking about me. I rebirthed you. I made you new. These are things you cannot do. I did this for you. I'm not talking about a renewed confidence in yourself or a renewed confidence in somebody else that found confidence in themselves. I'm talking about who I have made you to be. I'm talking about the value that I have given you. I'm talking about who you are in me, not who you are in yourself. I'm not asking you to believe in yourself. I'm asking you to believe in me. And in that moment of anxiety, when you feel like you don't have choices, when you feel like you're on a merry-go-round that keeps spinning and you can't get off of it, Jesus is looking at you and saying, there is actually a very different decision to be made. And the decision that you can make is believing the truth of who I say that you are. You are made new. I've tried to make myself over. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I made you new. You can be filled. I've tried so many ways to find me. I'm, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about what I can do for you. You, you can receive value. I've tried and tried to believe in myself. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about who my father says that you are. And in that moment of anxiety, I can decide. I have a control, so to say, that I usually don't think that I have. Because I've tried to decide in my own power again and again and again, and you always wind back up at the same place. That's how none of that ever works. It doesn't work for me either. But I could turn to the one who can change me and renew me and make me new. And I can decide whether my anxiety is gonna define me in that moment or God's truth is gonna define me uh, our, uh, our young adult leader here, his name's Josiah, he's got a great illustration about this. And this is what Josiah uh, says. He says, think of it as, uh, as your high school transcripts, 
right? So he says, think of it as your high school transcripts. So if you look at my high school transcripts, you know, C's get degrees, that's my motto. You know, D plus keeps you eligible, that's all you need. And so that's kind of like my, my high school transcript. He said, so imagine going to a college and the only way to get into this college is if you have a perfect 4.0. When God looks at your high school transcript, He's not trying to give you better grades than you already have. You had a D, I'm gonna make it a C. You had a B, I'm gonna curve it to an A minus. You had a 2.0, I'm gonna give you a 3.0. When God looks at your high school transcript, he's not looking and saying, let me make you a better version of you. Ready? Think of it this way. When I have something that does not qualify to get me to where I wanna be, I take my high school transcript, I don't ask God to give me better grades, I take my transcript, I hand it to Jesus, and Jesus gives me his. So when I go to apply, I'm not handing Jeff, I'm handing Jesus. Jesus would look and say, because I'm not, I'm not talking about you, the, the gospel, the story of Jesus, is not the story of you becoming tolerable to God. All right, he dropped the F-bomb, let him in. It's not the, that's not what the story of Jesus is. The gospel, the story of Jesus, is not you becoming a better you. Well, he dropped the F-bomb and he started going to church? Well, C plus. That's not the gospel. That's not the story of Jesus. The gospel, the story of Jesus, is Jesus rebirthing me in every aspect of my heart and my mind. The gospel is the story of my adoption. The gospel is the story of my deliverance. The gospel is the story of my rebirth. The gospel in Christ is what is true of me. Because in Jesus, in Jeff, C plus. In Jesus, 4 O. And I'm taking from him and giving the lie that I believed in me to him. And I'm living off the truth of who Christ says I am in him. This is your story in Christ. You are not your past, that's gone. You're made new. You are not your sexuality. That's not your identity. You are not your ugliest sin. You're not a number. You're not a social group. You're not a generalization. You're not your age. You're not your stage. You are wanted. You are purchased. You're a redeemed child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're a citizen of a kingdom and your dad is the king. That is who you are in Christ. Ready? So I'm back at the steps. I'm back at the steps. Because I'm a dumb kid. That's who I am. That's who I am. In fact, I had an eighth grade science teacher that affirmed that for me. Told me I'd never amount to anything. Been trying to prove him wrong my whole life. And I'm frozen in anxiety. That's where I'm at. And in that moment, I'm at a fork in the road. 
I'm gonna believe in myself. I'm less dumb than I thought I was. I'm gonna believe in somebody else. My mom said I wasn't dumb. Or do I swap transcripts? Why should I let you on this stage? Well, here's who, what Christ has done in me. That's all I got. That's all I got. I'm not capable. I'm not worthy. I am a child of God, the son of the king. I do have the mind of Christ. Colossians says that I do. I do have the spirit of living God within me. I do have the word of God that I'm proclaiming, not the opinion of Jeff. And in that moment, ready? My anxiety, my lie, my insecurity is replaced with my identity from Christ. And I walked up on that platform and I've been on one for the last 30 years. Right? Because it's what God has called me to do. Now ready? You with me? When you make that decision, you can get through a moment. When you string together a series of moments, you create a habit. When you string together some practices of a habit, you create an instinct. 30 years later, my instinct is to be defined by the truth of who Christ says I am as opposed to defined by the lie that I believe about myself. Ready? With me? Ready? But a lot of times I still feel like a dumb kid. I sit, when I get up here, and there's like some Greek word, philopagiasis, I still am scared to say it. I still feel inadequate. I still at times feel like I'm, I'm going to be, one day you're gonna find out that I'm dumb. It's in me. It doesn't define me. Did you hear me? It doesn't define me, it's different. It's different. And sometimes I feel paralyzed by it. Sometimes, 30 years later, I'm still trying to take that first step. Just depends on what room I'm in. These lies don't go away. They're a part of you. And the evil one, the father of that lie, oh, he's gonna push that one. But our God is greater. Our God is greater, not because he makes all of our problems go away all the time but because his truth can overcome my weakness. And in my weakness, in my weakness, God can glorify himself through me, right? Now guys, listen, I love you. And some of you are trapped in lies. You believe that unless you participate in sin, nobody will love you. You believe that unless you clothe yourself with material success, nobody will respect you. You believe whatever somebody told you or you picked up along the way. 
And Jesus doesn't improve us, he changes us. You don't have to live in that lie. You just are. Some of you don't know Christ yet. You don't know the power of what it means to be reborn. And so you are trapped. I, I am this. That's all that I am. It's all that I will ever be. And Jesus would look at you and say, no, I'm the God of the resurrection. I make dead things come alive. You have to live like that. I don't want you to live like that. But you're not gonna, you're not gonna think your way out of it, willpower your way out of it, or make up a truth which is just another version of a lie about yourself. But I'll break that cycle and I'll break that chain. But I'm not talking about what you can do. I'm talking about what I can do. The people who are citizens of the kingdom, what Paul is talking about, Philippians 3, we're to live free. We're to be overcomers. We're to be victorious. I did not say that your lie goes away. I said that God is powerful enough to walk you up your steps. Bow your heads, close your eyes for a minute. Let's, we'll just be quiet for a minute. The band will flip the stage around here and lead us. We're gonna sing a series of songs that are all about who we are in Christ and what he's done in us. And I pray that as we sing these songs, and they remind us of that, I pray that when you sing them or think of them, you think of them as a truth. I pray that it's not a cliche. I pray that it's not just somebody else's truth that you adopt into your life and repeat, but it's something that you can actually believe, that God actually has changed you or can. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to take this truth and press it down into the deepest parts of your heart. So it's not just something you know, it's something you believe, it's who you are. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, with this stuff, it's a description of the freedom and the change that God wants to give you. Jesus died so that this stuff could be true of your life and you don't have to live in the stress, the worry, the anxiety, the insecurity that you're used to living in. Jesus, in these moments, would you move in our hearts in a powerful way? Take things past our brain and into our heart. God, we're at a fork in the road. You brought us there tonight. God, it's not belief in self. It's confidence, it's faith that you are who you are and that we are who you say we are. Would you press that into our hearts even in these still moments?